Mabel Chung and Alex Law take their storytelling out of the current and small intimate arenas of Hong Kong, China and New York and goes for scope, depicting free female political figures in Chinese history. My name is Kenny B. With me is Tom KW and Paul Fox and this is the Director's Series 31 on Mabel Chung's The Song Sisters. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, I may moderate these discussions, but I'm in no way, no way capable of leading one on an epic covering Chinese political history, despite loving the duo that made this. Uh, Tom would enhance the discussion quite well, I think, uh, but I still felt no. I needed two <laughs> informed perspectives. So I brought in another person to enhance our discussion, and that is Paul Fox of the East Screen, West Screen podcast. He'll be our teacher for uh, the next uh, hour, hour and a half. So say hi, hi, buddy. Hi, hi. Not a teacher, just a history nerd. So <laughs> thank you for having me. You're the brains of the operation. Therefore, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I've, I've written down you're words. You're the muscle. What am I? <laughs> Pause the brains. You're the muscle. What, what am I? I'm just you're smarter. Third wheel. You're smarter. You've uh, lived a life and uh, you know these things. So mom tells me. Yeah, mom says that. So it's okay. <laughs> I heard that from your mom. Like, he's lived a life. <laughs> he's lived a life. What? Do a podcast with him. <laughs> I do it on poli- I do it on politics. So, mom's recommendation. Well, there you go. Highest recommendation for heaven's sake. So uh, let's get into it. We have a couple of things to to cover. So I'll I'll just do the uh, contact information uh, really quick. And, and by the way, um, thank you everybody for listening so far. This is uh, the the Mabel Chung Alex Law combined directors series because they're they're both directors, they're creative partners, and they're life partners. Uh, they always do movies together, whether one directs one writes or vice versa and uh, the majority of movies uh, that they've been involved with have been Mabel's movies but uh, Alex have uh, injected some um, directorial uh, skills uh, here and there we've seen painted faces of course when we get to Echoes of the Rainbow that will be my first viewing of it but that was uh, at the time a very regarded movie so I'm looking forward to it um, as a new watch uh, watching Simon Yam and his Hong Kong Film Award winning performance together with uh, Sandra and uh, it's uh, been reissued on uh, on disc now it only had a DVD uh, back in the day in Hong Kong now it's got a Blu-ray so we can we can watch Echoes of the Rainbow that way so um, that's why it's all a shared uh, shared uh, directors series kind of thing here but uh, you can find uh, this show on podcastonfire.com along with all our other shows on Hong Kong cinema new and old we talk about Korean cinema Japanese cinema anime or live action and sleazy cinema every now and again and there's a bonus archive for you to enjoy as well this show will at the tail end feature a bonus episode uh, we'll announce that uh, the further we get into the series but we found a sort of suitable movie that they didn't direct the duo nor wrote but they were heavily involved in so 
we'll get to that. Uh, and uh, if you have any guesses, send them in. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com on, or on our various social media. And uh, let's uh, just direct the listeners to the links on the website and in the show post for all that good stuff. So if you decide to follow us on social media or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and uh, or stream us on Stitcher Radio or Spotify, we're very, very appreciative. So I'll uh, conclude the plug-in right there and uh, throw over to our honorary historian co-host co-producer to give a little plug for his podcast so uh what can they where can they find your extensive archive of uh, podcasts paul uh you can find us over at uh, concast.com the show is east screen uh, west screen and hopefully by the time uh, you all are listening to this we'll have a couple new episodes for the 2020 year uh out there and in the airwaves at any rate, we are going to do a little rundown for you so you'll know what to expect. We'll temporarily jump past the Song Sisters in the timeline because we're going to briefly discuss the 1998 drama City of Glass from Mabel Chung. The Song Sisters was uh, the year before. Uh, that will be our designated quick take on uh, of this episode. We then talk some uh, biographical notes on each of the Song Sisters as well as trivia concerning the difficult making of the film for Mabel and Alex. Uh, this wasn't... Um, Easy to get approved. Let's just say that. And um, mainland censors were uh, not uh, waving the sort of green flag. Do whatever you like uh, when it comes to this story. It's a it's a it's a hot potato in uh, in many ways. And we then conclude the episode by discussing and reviewing the film. So let's get into it. City of Glass uh, from 1998. And uh, uh, as it is a quick take, maybe we'll uh, we'll uh, each speak. Uh, uh, speak uh, separately and then throw over to the next person. So, why don't uh, why don't Tom start start us off with uh, City of Glass and a little quick take on it? And if I have a question or if Paul has a question, we are gonna ask them. So be ready for uh, the grilling here. So, <laughs> what, <laughs> what did so. you think of uh, City of Glass? A little, you know, they're back in romantic territory. It's not a big scope uh, political film. This it, it got me in the end. It took a bit of time to get me, but I think. It got me in the end. It's a bit overlong. It's a bit indulgent. It's engineered for maximum melodrama, but it eventually grabbed me by the time the film came to a close. It's a lot more kind of arty and less commercial than, say, um, An Autumn's Tale, but it's along the same lines, I would say. I mean, I mean, it's not a refread of their days in New York, but uh, rather Mabel, I think, and Alex, I suppose. Thematically, looking, maybe. Yeah, yeah thematically but they're, 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 they're looking back on their university days and then they cross-cut narratives that are set both in the 70s and in 1997. Uh, so uh, was that like a compelling structure to jump back and forth between Leon Lai and Shu Kei and then Daniel Wu and uh, Nicola Chung? Do you like that sort of back and forth? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was is quite an interesting, um, interesting narrative structure. It probably made the film a bit overlong, and I think the younger members of the cast aren't particularly given a lot of great material. Obviously, Daniel Wu at this point is still very fresh and a bit unsure in his acting. I think this was his first or second film, so he's he's not really given a, a lot of great material to work with, and their kind of um, story, which is set in the present uh, between him um, and uh, what's the actress's name? Nicola Chung. Yeah, Nicola Chung. Um, their characters, Susie and, Susie and David. Is, oh, yeah, Susie and David for now. Um, their story's not as intriguing, I don't think, but it's interesting that it's kind of 
the flashbacks are giving some emotional weight by obviously it being their respective kind of mom and mom and dad. So it gives it a little, packs it, you know, a little bit more punch to it. But yeah, they're not particularly giving any great scenes with all the great scenes are given to, you know, Leon Lai and, and Shuki's character playing Raphael and Vivian. Raphael. That's like uh, waiting for Tom to go like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant. Come on, come on, man. That's, you know, that's kind of six months to go. I'd have told that joke. I'm a change man now. I'm <laughs> okay. getting older. But 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 you 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 hit upon the point where with the melodrama, you know, Mabel and Alex have played things a bit more natural and a bit more understated, and uh, to, to to let us in more gently into the narrative. Did you think they were pushing buttons too hard in terms of melodrama? Yeah, I think it it, it seems very engineered. A lot of different scenes are kind of whereas um, you know, saying Autumn's Tale, it's more uh, naturally comes from the characters. A lot of the kind of scenarios doing the setups, it's feels very organic whereas here it's like a lot of it's kind of engineered for uh, you know maximum uh, not shock value but kind of the most kind of artistic uh scene set up with the kind of most you know romantic explosions like on the camera it just seems kind of really kind of big and in your face and a lot of the situations just seem a lot less less natural uh, than in kind of previous films. But I'd say I think at this point in the career that they're, they're slowly getting a bit more artistic and, and less commercial. Uh, Eva, um, I don't know if Alex said this or Mabel said this, but uh, they did say at one point that they wanted to break out of the perception of them as filmmakers after that um, run of seven years, I guess, between 85 and 92, and do something else. I mean, that's where the Song Sisters came from. We, got, we, we want to do something big. We don't want to be the Autumn's Tale, uh, Eight Tales of Gold duo. Uh, so yeah. um, I mean maybe they, this is part of that experiment okay there's definitely an evolution an evolution there for sure in terms of their, their filmmaking um, you know for the both of them but how did you feel the um, uh, because I, I, I bumped on this uh, like for once well cast uh, English speaking actors for a Hong Kong movie <laughs> yeah it was it, it was alright yeah, yeah, because it's set bad. in London uh, for, a, yeah. uh, for a lot of it no, a lot of it, and obviously there's there's kind of the Guaylo actors, and then there's the uh, actual English. Well, a lot of the cast speak English kind of throughout at, at kind of random points, which I felt was a bit bit strange. But well, well, well Daniel is American, so you, you yeah, it, it kind of works. But like every now and again, they kind of mix it up. So I think it's more of a commentary on you know more commentary on what they're going for, which is obviously the handover, you know, back to China in 1997. So there's a lot of elements of that and i think it's more of a kind of a i don't know more of a example of kind of you know the the relationship there between the kind of english and and the kind of chinese and there's a lot more going on there in terms of just you know straightforward love story there's a lot to do with kind of what's going on politically at at the time but yeah there's nothing massively you know exciting writing or story-wise but um i feel with leon lay as well he you know, I don't think he ever has an amazing performance in anything. I mean, he's an, he's an okay actor, uh, no great shakes in terms of ability, but very, very serviceable. I've just never seen him. He's always puts in a serviceable performance. I've never seen him, you know, in anything kind of amazing where he doesn't kind of go above the usual kind of monotone, <laughs> you know, Leon Lai, monotone right? kind of deliver it. Yeah, Leon Lai, yeah. So, hey, 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 in he, Fire of Conscience, he had a beard. Okay, well, yeah, he went out of his comfort zone there. He had a beard. Sure, but... <laughs> so shut up, son. But... That was character acting. <laughs> 
no, I mean, I'm saying I would genuinely like a recommendation of anything where he goes above and beyond that kind of normal. Comrades, almost a love story, and going home. The Hong Kong part of uh, the first, not the first Freak Extremes. It wasn't called Freak Extremes. Well, it was the first anthology horror thing. That uh, uh, so the Hong Kong part, going home, is is excellent. If you want two recommendations there. Yeah. Okay. So he's gone. He's gone kind of out of his comfort zone a few times. But yeah, it's just that kind of standard delivery of his. I don't think he's a massively interesting leading man, but um, he's fine. He's fine. Nice location choices and musical flourishes keep things quite fresh. And uh, as I say, I think it keeps building. It does get somewhere emotional in the end. It did kind of touch me towards the end. Um, but it just took a bit, you know, a bit, bit of time to kind of get there. But I think it did get there in the end. Uh, well, I guess we'll hand over to uh, to Paul to uh, deliver his um, quick take of uh, City of Glass. So, uh, what, what did this viewing do for you? Because uh, I guess you've seen this um, one once or twice before. Yes, I've seen it before. It's, um, I mean, it's a very UFO film. I would say, if you know the the, the UFO production house, kind of in their filmography, they have these films that are kind of reflective touching back on nostalgia you know echoes of the rainbow is is very much in this same vein it's not always painting a rosy picture this is obviously very much focused on uh the handover but as you mentioned it's also focused on the sort of college years of characters um so you have these kind of two two generational stories running at the same time which i thought was interesting although for me, the 70s era, the something about the art direction felt too modern. Um, it, it just didn't really feel like the 70s um, most of the time. It, 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 it mm-hmm. felt like, um, I think I, at one, in one of the scenes at one of the protests, it kind of, you know, had the look and feel of, of 70s era. But a lot of the other scenes just didn't work. I mean, for the sake of, budget they're shooting a lot of it at hong kong u which hasn't changed <laughs> i mean it's it's pretty much the same building uh, and structures that it's always been with some renovation over the years i mean uh, i as you were mentioning leon lai never really does much for me beard i told you beard you did you did say something about beard. Yeah, I did hear but that. you, you oh, mentioned yeah. the two films that people should go see and and beyond that um he tends to meet for me a pretty flat actor I mean, I mean, it's often Peter Chan that's got a handle on how to uh, how to direct Leon yeah. Leon well because Comrades and Going Home they're both Leon um, Peter Chan directed mm. films. P- yeah. Peter knows how to use yeah. them, and and other directors don't seem to. Uh, case in point, Empress and the Warriors. Um, if you want to really go down a rabbit hole of bad Leon live films, sounds um, great. I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> the. Uh, <laughs> but here, but here too, because you've got uh, Daniel, who's also very young. Um, it really felt like the the female leads were kind of just working circles around the male, <laughs> the male. <laughs> yeah, leads. yeah, no, it's true, it's true. Um, yeah, but you get a chance to see a very young uh, Vincent Koch in a small role, a uh, super young Eason Chan, who I think maybe even has one line of dialogue. Yeah, he's a crucial uh, if, character, if and um, I, it's the stairwell scene. I think he has his sole pieces of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I think for me the '90s nostalgia uh, works a bit more because they're talking about. I mean, you're still seeing old scenes of the old airport and um, the run up to uh, the '97 handover. 
the the romance itself, you know, it, it's kind of there. I I I wanted to see more of the interactions between Nicola Chung and Daniel Wu, and about the around the time of the third act, you're really just in Leon Lai and Shuchi territory for a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Um, and I would have liked a bit more balance. Um, it just it, I kept saying, you know, get back to the get back to the kids. I want to see more, you know, I want to see more of the kids. But yeah, it it tends to run uh, a bit long. It, it's an interesting premise. I don't want to spoil too much, even though it's kind of revealed in the first two minutes of the film. What what's going to happen? And and hey, Leon, you know, when you drive 120 miles per hour, that's what's going to happen. So you know, <laughs> so you have to get to the London 1997 New Year's celebrations for whatever speed limits. <laughs> They're important people. Well, I thought um, Stephen Tung is acting director. He was going to go like flying off the edge of the bridge as it was coming up, and then just land perfectly. Well, it would explode, but they'd both jump out, and you know they'd be okay. But yeah, it didn't happen, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wonder where was the action directing here? But maybe, <laughs> may, maybe they shot a stunt. Who knows? So. I think it's probably that, and maybe the, yeah. maybe the back end with the explosions and stuff. I, I don't know. Well, not explosions. I mean, what do you call them things? Fireworks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those pretty explosions. You know the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, there's a hidden fight scene between Leon and Eason at some point. Yeah, where's the deleted scenes? <laughs> did did anyone um, initially anyway thought like because it's it's set? I don't know if the student days are supposed to be early, mid, or late seventies, but regardless, it seemed like they're not aging. The Shuke yeah, Leon Lai characters when they cut, we 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 meet them first when they're in their forties, I suppose, early forties anyway. And then you flash back to university days and they look exactly the same. And I thought, like, is that a choice just to, we're going to keep them ideal looking because we want this movie to, I don't know, we, we don't want to do the work or we don't simply are not going to age them. We're going to keep them the same look throughout the movie. Later in the movie, they, they, they gray him up a little bit. But to be honest, it looks like they aged 10 years in reality. Um, but uh, but the movie, I think, at most depicts a 20-year period, but maybe more. Or what's your take on that? Um? Yeah, it's, you know, again, I, I kind of think it goes back to the the time period of the 70s where they just weren't really capturing it all that well. I think in one scene, Leon's got a wig on and it's not really working that well. Um, I think it's easier to kind of maybe if had make Shu Chi play the you the start young with the beards college girl, <laughs> yeah. But the the de aging of 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 Leon didn't really come across all that well. You know, it's fine for what it is. I mean, this is this is again as a UFO film, they're gonna throw at you these um, musical riffs. Um, this one is uh, I don't know the name of the song. Try to remember. I think uh, pops up at least five times. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then um, you've got, uh, and I love you. So there's a lot of that going on. And for some people, I think that's, you know, that will appeal for others. They might find that a little bit uh, overdone at times. I, I, I've seen better balances within UFO productions, um, primarily things like yesterday, uh, yesterday, yes, yesterday, you. Uh, whatever the first movie was in the in the banana ripening trilogy, where the sort of main theme in it was uh, the usage of the BG song, uh, 
God, <laughs> what's the, oh, I've forgotten about it. Uh, never mind, they, they use a BT song uh, over and over again, but both the song and both um, instrumental versions of it, but it becomes a very fetching theme. Uh, First of May, that's the song, uh, the BT uh, song. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but it becomes a fetching theme for that movie. But but I agree here. It seems like it was just ju- jukebox time, over and over again, like the personal playlist of Mabel and Alex's or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, it, and it was overused because uh, I didn't think it added to the atmosphere of scenes um, as such to just uh, repeat it all over again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think once it got past that seventies part and was getting into kind of more modern day time that's when i started getting interested and a bit more invested i think what we're you know what kind of paul was saying is it's just you know it's like i don't know i don't think it's convincing enough and i think i think shuki's only like 20 or something in this film or just you know 22 23 so it's it's hard for us to kind of play that gauntlet you know of age or that you know that kind of long period of age i think leon lowe's 30 so that's not too bad but yeah, it's kind of, it's hard. It almost feels like them kind of, not an actual timeline. It feels more like them kind of being in certain seas, setting, scenes set in certain times. And it's all kind of a bit more, I don't know, looser rather than an actual narrative to me, it feels like. For for, for a while for me, it um, when initially starting off the Leon Lai Tucci backstory, you know, even Leon Lai felt a little bit more alive than usual. The, the movie was using quite... Because I, 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 I don't think he's a terribly appealing actor. It depends on the movie. Sometimes there's good material. I mean, I haven't seen 18 Springs in a long time, but that was an excellent movie. Uh, and, and I hope that Leon Lai did respectable work, but even in that movie, probably the leading ladies are running laps um, around uh, Leon Lai. But uh, I did like the initial sweet cuddly romantic tactics as these kids you know in beautifully lit shots uh, this movie was shot by uh, jingle ma that was initially quite good but there's a lot of movie to experience and not this uh, tight sort of romantic journey lasting 20 years or so so i, I, so I like those you know riding their bikes in the beautiful warm hong kong night and uh, all those beautiful memories of uh, of uh, romance but i did bump a little on the fact that they're playing up the visuals quite a bit to make this super cuddly and romantic. And it's not something they'd had to do before. They use their environments and their leads to good effect. And here, after a while, it becomes a little bit of a strain to buy, to buy the romance, to stay interested in the romance. Because I, I think she's good. I don't think she's given a lot to do. Is she okay? But I think she's good. She's lovely and... Um, I think at this time she really was hitting her stride as a dramatic actress too. Uh, but um, you know, after they depart for the first time, I suppose, and uh, go into separate paths in their lives, uh, and their political protests, and they're following those instincts, uh, or he primarily uh, by being a political person. I mean, it might be quite a personal chapter in their lives. Uh, maybe they uh, engaged in protests, or maybe they watched these protests uh, happen as they um, were in university. That's fine, but it, it didn't stick with me, this on-and-off romance between the two. And the problem by by the back end, by the maybe last 30-40 minutes of a, a two-hour movie, it's almost like... I, I, I don't want to say Mabel was insecure here, but it's Every romantic beat, whenever they remeet, they remeet a couple of times. For instance, they remeet in London. 
cue strings and she's yeah, aw- she's yeah. awfully loud and i don't know if this was experimental or insecurity about the material but it's 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 a reverse kind of thing she was really really good at this stuff in the 80s and not being this uh, bombastic and i don't know where this came from necessarily uh but it didn't make me want to connect to leon lai and shu k but the more we stuck with daniel wu and nicola chung i warmed to their interaction a bit more they, they bicker yeah. in the beginning so they're at odds i mean he wants to uh, get the business in hong kong uh, uh, over and done with so he can go home and they don't like each other but they become more friendly as the movie goes along and i think their scenes became more sweet because mabel wasn't pushing the uh, visual and uh, oral tactics in the form of big score big visuals big romantic moment you're right. That's what I was trying to get at earlier when I said you said it a lot more eloquently than than I did. Yeah, when I was talking about like the explosions, it's like these huge kind of like instead of letting the kind of words or the kind of writing or the characters kind of um, interaction speak for itself. It's all about the kind of visuals and the music and you know the rain and you know the windows slamming and the kind of rows and the you know which is fine. The, you know the very good visuals, but. She relies on that more, uh, Mabel does, rather than the kind of interaction between the characters, I think. And and, and, and I think, uh, I mean, even though Leo lies never that strong in those moments either, I, I still would have preferred for the sort of natural interaction to just speak as much volume as it can, I suppose. And uh, uh, because there's jealousy and things like that and they separate oh I can't be with him but then they're all together and um, blah 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 um, I don't want to spoil it either so, but, but even the bigger moments towards the end where they uh, where they replicate uh, the handover fireworks and then mix and match I suppose with footage shot on that day uh, that on that night because it involved Daniel and uh, Nicola and I've found myself liking these two now and they're they're good enough young actors they they have a little natural rapport going once they get along as characters then i like the more lyrical visual moments of the fireworks and la 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 romance in the air so i, I guess it boils down to that one pair of the actors doesn't really work and the second pair grew on me so um therefore mabel's tactics they were okay by that point but by no means i super memorable movie i i i i was i kept tuning out because there were things that weren't interesting to me and i was a little bit surprised that it uh, was that bombastic uh which works for some audiences i suppose and it's a well-mounted movie but um i i prefer it to be a little bit a um, little bit more quiet um, to be honest uh, so I've, I've actually done my notes i'm gonna throw over to paul if you had any anything else uh, you wanted to share about um, how it all progress do you think it's by the way uh documentary footage uh, from from the night that they caught and then mixed with staged footage of uh, the, their own fireworks display uh with the fireworks i mean I, I i think some of it was uh definitely from the night uh there was there was a shot of a big projection of uh, prince charles giving his speech at one point but i do remember that uh it was rainy on and off um during the ceremony so I don't I don't know if they were um, doing some of the some of the other pickup shots elsewhere um, when weather had cleared. It was it was you know it was interesting to see that you know moment kind of uh, 
stuck in there at the end. It's not the only film that's done that. There have been quite a few films that have worked in the handover, you know, as part of the narrative. Aside from the flashback storytelling, basically with the um, Nicola and Daniel story, what you have is you have a these characters basically meeting over a period of, you know, roughly six, seven months from uh, New Year's Eve of 97 to the handover of, of 97. Uh, I, but as I said, I, I really just wanted to see more um, because I think you guys nailed it, that the chemistry, the moments with uh, Leon Lai and Xu Chi uh, wasn't always there for me. It, it, it felt overly staged, um, and you know maybe because they were trying to put on this this semblance of you know the way things were those were the days kind of a kind of a feel but with the modern scenes they could be a lot smaller um they didn't have to worry about aesthetics and budget so much and and i really found those moments between those two characters a lot more compelling there's a, there's a great super cute little romantic moment between the two of them where you know um, she says, well, let me, let me find you, a, you know, a, a girlfriend. And, uh, they're looking at girls, you know, from this big window from the campus. And, and she goes, what about that girl? And he's like, no, 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 she, she's not there. And he says, oh, I like that one over there by the, by the, by the pond. And she's like, where, where? And he says, that one over there. And she goes, all right, let me go, let me go talk to her for you. And she like runs out to the pond and then, you know, nobody's there, but he's like pointing. And it's just a really, I mean, it's a really nice little moment that uh, works really well. And there, there's a couple more um, between them um, that really built their relationship nicely. Those are well-staged moments uh, just because they're straight and natural and not as visually driven. doesn't mean that they're easy to do because uh, those are beats that need to be very well made. And that's where Mabel comes out and Alex's writing comes out at, at, at the uh, looking their best. The only person they sort of de-age to, um, to make sure it's now the 70s is, is Vincent Cock <laughs> because he gets a dumb wig in the 70s segment <laughs> and then he's a bit more, you know, D.A.G. was, as a matter of fact, in 1997 and a little bit more gray hair, but it's the only person they age. Like, you got a wig on, buddy. In. Act. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of cute. Uh, shall we move on to the main attraction, I suppose? Uh, and uh, that's the yeah. Song Sisters. Okay, well, you have no choice in it. I'm, I've already started. Oh. So. <laughs> um, the Song Sisters from 1997. Uh, the like, I want to only plot because it really it's 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 about it's about the Song Sisters and the background and the notes that we're going to talk of kind of covers the plot. It's not this ticking clock for 90 minutes. What's going to happen with the Song Sisters? It's a historical epic about uh, their lives throughout the decades uh, and uh, I think the notes are going to cover the plot uh, uh, mostly spoiler free I suppose uh, so let's get into it uh, again I can't I don't know and I can't properly present the context you know the pros and cons of each sister in terms of their political leanings and uh, in terms of if they navigated politics well or if they were horrible persons but this background section is is simply, you know, to try and break down some of the roles in Chinese political history, whether you agree with it or not. I, I simply am not good enough to uh, untangle that. And I do apolo- apologize if this comes off as choppy or incoherent. It, it's really not my area of expertise. I mean, history and politics. I, I mean, you guys know this. I, I like pornography and kung fu fighting gorillas better. That's my jam. That's a good blend. 
I do apologize and uh, feel free to interject or clarify if uh, anything isn't clear, guys. Uh, but first, a little on the movie, and we'll come back to additional production info on the Song Sisters. And uh, this historical drama was Mabel Chung's first movie since 1989's Eight Tales of Gold, and the duo's first project since 1992's Lunar New Year hit Now You See Love, Now You Don't, uh, which was directed by Alex Law. Uh, in interviews, Mabel expressed a desire to break away from her perceived filmmaking image, trying to get away from these straight, natural, rural dramas about immigration and immigration. So the duo returned in a big bad way for 1997's The Song Sisters, making the most epic grand movie of their career and most controversial. And we'll get back to what what uh, hurdles they had to overcome. So it's based on the lives of the Song Sisters, unsurprisingly. Uh, Song Ailing, played by uh, Michelle Yeoh in the film. Song Qingling, played by Maggie Cheung. And Song Meiling, played by Vivian Wu. And these were the spouses of real-life historical characters. Uh, the elder sister, Ailing, was married to China's richest, richest man and finance minister, H.H. Kung. And the middle sister, Qingling, married Sun Yat-sen, who was the first president of the Republic of China and the first leader of the Nationalist Party of China. And he played a pivotal role in overthrowing the Qing dynasty during the Chinese Revolution of 1911, which you see at the beginning of the film, in the beginning stages of the film. Uh, this is what happens. And the youngest sister, Mei Ling, was also a distinct uh, political figure, becoming the first lady of the Republic of China being the wife of uh, Generalissimo and President Chiang Kai-shek, who was the leader of the politi- political party, uh, Kuo Mintang. He was the commander-in-chief of the Chinese armies and later president of the Republic of uh, China. So some further details on each respective uh, sister. Uh, so starting with the eldest one again, Song Ailing, played by Michelle Yeoh in the film. Uh, born in Shanghai, educated in Macon, uh, Georgia, and um, all of them were educated abroad. Uh, she returned to China in 1909 uh, after graduation and uh, she worked as a secretary for Sun Yat-sen, a job that then later went to her sister, the middle sister, Song Qingling, who went on to marry Sun Yat-sen, as we talked of, and uh, the middle sister is the Maggie Cheung character. Uh, but Ai Ling met her husband, uh, Kung Xiangxi, who influenced and determined economic policies of the uh, Kuomintang-led nationalist government in the 30s and 40s. Uh, they married in 1913, and uh, what we don't hear of in the movie that much is that, um, unless I missed it, is that Ailing devoted herself to social work, such as child uh, welfare. Uh, she taught English along with her sisters, and uh, she formed and established Chinese industrial uh, cooperatives, which gave job opportunities for people through weaving, sewing and other crafts and the sisters they frequently visited schools and hospitals and orphanages, uh, air raid shelters and um, aided war-torn communities during this time in the second Sino-Japanese war. It was a way of trying to unite the parties against the Japanese Imperial Navy. That that really didn't work. Both parties failed to unite at the most critical time in in the 40s but uh, the sisters apparently made a valiant effort uh, um, in financing and assisting in all national activities and Eileen died in um, 1973 in um, in New York. I mean really it, it, it was a part that I was missing in the movie because when I read that did that research that they were the social issues were on their minds I I kind of wanted to hear more of that in the movie but then again this is a two hour 20 minute movie and 
to get everything in there you need 10 movies i suppose so, but uh, it was the thing i connected to most that all of them uh, seemed to have this beating heart for um, for social issues and uh, then again who knows if they were even allowed to put these kind of things in <laughs> movies it's it's a complicated issue if uh, making movies to uh, in mainland china uh, because you they had to have their script cleared so who knows i mean who uh, what was allowed or or not allowed i mean, I mean here, here's the first ignorant question if i ask you paul do you think that issue of uh, put, uh, depicting all of the sisters as um, persons who um, who engage in social welfare issues would that be sort of a uh, half a no-no in mainland China. No, you, you can't. You, you can't depict them like that. We've we've decided how you depict these persons. So, what do you think spontaneously about that issue of their lives? Well, I, all three are very controversial from a certain ideological perspective. So, yeah, anybody who's going to be having their finger on the quote-unquote censorship button with regard to you know a piece of creative content. Uh, may find uh, certain things objectionable if they want someone portrayed in a positive light only. So, yeah, I mean, you've got uh, uh, three sisters who, and it kind of says this right at the start of the film, uh, are in three different positions, and that's something that we'll we'll kind of get into um, uh, as we go further into the film. And one of those positions is seen favorably by the the powers that be currently. So, um, so let's move on to some notes on the middle sister, Song Qingling, played by Maggie Cheung in the film. She was awarded for this performance, by the way. Uh, she was eventually the third wife of Sun Yat-sen, one of the leaders of the 1911 revolution that established the Republic of China. He's played by Winston Chow in the film. Uh, got some marvelous cast, a marvelous looking cast here in uh, big and small roles. Uh, and as a result of all this, she was often referred to as Madame Sun Yat-sen. She was a prominent figure in Chinese politics even uh, prior to the establishment of uh, the People's Republic of China in uh, 1949. She held several positions in the new government at that point. She was uh, educated in both Shanghai and like her sister in Macon, uh, Georgia. So uh, they, as I said, they all had uh, overseas uh, education. Uh, after Sun Yat-sen, uh, her husband died in 1925, she was elected to the KMT Central Executive Committee. But uh, she left China for Moscow, which is referred to in the film briefly, after the expulsion of the communists from the party KMT in 1927. And she accused the party of betraying her husband's legacy which was would also be an interesting inclusion in the film or in a separate film she Qingling lived in shanghai until july 1937 when the second sino-japanese war broke out uh, which then prompted her and her sisters to move to hong kong and in 1939 she founded the um, china defense league which raised funds and sourced supplies primarily for the chinese communist controlled areas of uh, northern china and I mean, did this sort of siding with the communists uh, meant this middle sister kind of broke with her family, but uh, she continued to be active with, politically. Uh, in 1948, she became the honorary chairwoman of the Revolutionary Committee of the Kuomintang, which was a left-wing splinter group of the KMT that claimed to be the legitimate heir of her husband's uh, Sun Yat-sen's legacy. Uh, the nationalist government eventually collapsed and the communists uh, claimed victory in the Chinese Civil War. 
And Qingling was invited to a Beijing conference where a new central people's government was meant to be established um, and, and a ceremony in 1949 uh, she also attended um, so she she you know she she was part of that the the birth the establishment of the people's republic of china she was around for that uh, the nationalist government still had or had previously issued an order for her arrest at that point but with the victory in the chinese civil war uh, which was between the nationalists uh, KMT and the Communist Party of China, the CPC. That order was uh, was uh, was cancelled. So, uh, and she she became a revered figure, the Maggie Chun character. She was obviously connected to Sun Yat-sen, and she sat in the Central People's Government as one of the six vice chair people. And in the fifties, she was the chairwoman of the Chinese. People's Relief Administration. Here you go again with um, such burning issues. Um, she uh, she engaged herself in that, and that uh, administration, Chinese People's Relief Administration, combined several organizations dealing with welfare and relief uh, issues. Uh, going as far as 1959, uh, Qingling was uh, elected as uh, co-vice president of the People's Republic of China. And um, if we fast forward a little bit more to the Cultural Revolution between. 1966 and 76, she was heavily criticized by uh, the Red Guard faction. And at one point, the marker of her parents' grave was toppled and their bodies exposed. And I, I'm not sure what caused this outrage, but something must have been brewing for such rage and disrespect to manifest itself uh, during uh, during that time in politics. Uh, I mean, is that a story that you ever encountered and, uh, and uh, did some reading on this particular event uh, Paul. She was a uh, during this period with with the Red Guards. Um, they they were going after you know anybody who had basically been in the crosshairs of Mao, and because of her status, uh, she was somewhat protected. But also because she came from this powerful family, um, the the Song family, um, they were considered part of the you know the bourgeois. They anybody from you know these wealthy families became targets, and so estates would be destroyed, uh, personal properties you know w- w- would be destroyed, people would be criticized and sometimes beaten up and sometimes even killed, and so you know um, yeah they, they they went after her because especially for large families you have you have uh, the idea of uh, you know these personal lineage grave sites that people are buried at and you see this in the film um right right when that area where the girls are playing right those big structures that's that's kind of the the burial site for the song family having something like that is a big status symbol so that becomes a target and uh what a what a horrid event though to uh and to, to go to those lengths you know so not just vandalize it but expose it like that but um yeah, uh, Song Qingling's uh, term as vice president of China eventually ended because that post was abolished altogether in 1975 and her public appearances were limited after the uh, Cultural Revolution due to poor health. Uh, um, her devotion to children's welfare issues was a, was a public notion though and um, articles will still appear in the press highlighting this. Song Qingling died in 1981 and uh, despite the uh, turbulence and criticism she um, uh, surrounding her life or that part of her life she was uh, admitted to the Communist Party and named Honorary Chairwoman of the People's Republic of China and she is the only person to ever hold that title. Uh, and finally the third sister, the younger sister, Song Mei Ling, played by Vivian Wu in the film. 
she, like her sisters, was a political figure. Uh, she was the first lady of the Republic of uh, China, the wife of Generalissimo and President uh, Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, the family in total actually consisted of six, chi- six children, by the way. Uh, and like her sisters, she was educated abroad at a private school in Summit, New Jersey. Uh, at a later point, she uh, transferred to and graduated from uh, uh, Wesley College, which I believe was the same as her um, older sisters, uh, but regardless, uh, uh, education abroad, uh, across the board. Uh, she met uh, Chiang Kai-shek in 1920, and if I didn't mention it, uh, in the movie he's played by Wu Xingguo. Uh, people might have seen him in uh, Temptation of a Monk for Clara Law. He's in Green Snake for, um, for Choi Hak. Uh, you know, he's also the villain of God of Gambler's Return. He's the person who uh, both throws his own cat out the window at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> and uh, not the person who, who does this, but um, he his henchman cut out like the, the child of uh, Chai Fat's pregnant wife in the movie just uh, so Wu Xingguo can make sure that God of Gamblers comes out of retirement and plays cards with him at the end. <laughs> but that, that, that's Wu Xingguo, very good actor, very good, reliable, uh, villainous uh, actor too but uh, if you ever get a chance to see temptation of a monk uh, it's not that type of role it's a very introspective and uh, interesting uh, interesting period movie he uh, co-stars with joan chen from twin peaks in um, temptation of a monk yeah yeah it's not his first appearance on the show i think he was in rock and roll cop as well wasn't he covered that many years ago he was the uh, <laughs> mainland cop i believe that uh, anthony Wong yeah, pairs up with good call good call you're right so she met uh, Chiang Kai-shek in 1920, who was the nationalist politician, revolutionary, and military leader who served as the uh, leader of uh, the Republic of China between um, 1928 and 1975. There, there was a significant age difference there. Um, he was 11 years older, and uh, he was already married uh, when he wanted to marry uh, Song Mei-ling. And uh, marriage was opposed by Mei-ling's uh, mother, who was played, by the way, uh, was it uh, Elaine Cam, right, who played... Uh, Mailing's uh, mother. In the You're film. right. Yes. Uh, yes. Wonderful uh, um, veteran actress that uh, uh, never does a bad job in film, regardless of um, if she gets a big role or not. So, so she protested to this marriage, but when uh, Chiang Kai-shek divorced, uh, he also promised to convert to Christianity, and the marriage was uh, ultimately uh, approved, if you will. And therefore, Song Mei-ling would be known, of course, as uh, Madame Chiang, and uh, she was actively engaged in Chinese politics. Uh, her husband rose to become generalissimo and leader of the Kuomintang, and his wife acted as English translator, secretary, and advisor, so really an integral part um, to uh, really open up... Uh, Open up, I suppose, his uh, his views and uh, his actions to to the world by uh, by having a sort of English language uh, aspect to it. Uh, if she 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 wanted to cement the legacy of her husband by promoting the Chinese cause, and uh, but she she was both well versed in Chinese and Western culture and spoke fluent English, and uh, she gained popularity in both China and abroad. Um, it's a section of the movie we don't see that much, of course. Uh, with all that said, she was more of a behind-the-scenes character rather than that constant in the public eye type of person. And she also focused, while well, being behind the scenes on social welfare projects, uh, such as forming schools for the orphans of Chinese soldiers. And it was a pressing issue because um, orphan children were, was more common in China after the beginning of the war with Japan in 1937. 
song mailing toward the United States several times to lobby support for the nationalists' war effort. And uh, on February 18th, 1943, she became the first Chinese national and the second woman to address both houses of the U.S. Uh, Congress. And as our history buff uh, informed us, this uh, footage and obviously audio is available on YouTube, uh, uh, song mailings addressed to U.S. Congress. So uh, that's a sort of history preserved, which is always neat, of course. And after the, the defeat of her husband's government in uh, the Chinese Civil War in 1949, she moved to Taiwan while her sister, the mentioned Song Qingling, the middle sister, stayed in China as she sided with the communists. And uh, Mei Ling held a low profile uh, after her husband's death in 1975. Um, uh, and uh, even though Chiang Kai-shek's eldest son from a previous marriage to, took his place, she did keep a low profile. And she died in New York in uh, 2003. Uh, so before I go on to the production of the movie, um, well done, Ken. That was yeah, uh, yeah I got through it. My very w- interesting. Take a take a My Wikipedia <laughs> cut and paste worked. <laughs> that was good, man. I mean, I learned a lot. So it's quite simple, then, yeah. <laughs> quite a, quite a simple backstory. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm missing tons of things that need to be said. Like, why didn't you say that? Because the, you should criticize that person for that. I again, I'm. I, I don't know these things, but l- let me still throw over to Paul uh, without uh, going into sort of movie specifics. Uh, and any spontaneous comments about, uh, the, I suppose, uh, either sister or do you want to save your notes for later? Yeah, also interesting to note that uh, the youngest, uh, Song Mei Ling, who became uh, Madam uh, Chiang Kai-shek later, uh, lived to 105. She died in 2003, meaning she probably got a chance to see this film. Maybe uh, wanted to be a consultant, who knows? <laughs> but maybe it wasn't allowed either, because, uh, again, uh, the production of the movie uh, wasn't easy. Um, uh, Mabel Chung and Alex Law worked hard and long to get this 1997 movie, The Song Sisters, made, uh, because it was a hot potato due to its politically sensitive and historical subject matter. Uh, it was initially censored and cut by mainland censors, but later approved for for longer release after Mabel Chung pleaded her case over a lengthy period and um, process. I mean, it came out in 1997, after all, it was the year of the handover, and uh, I read that there were sort of notes and voices surrounding the production that um, said that, or maybe critics that said that the script might have been a bit biased and tailored to the notion that you shouldn't rock the Hong Kong mainland China relationship at such an early stage. Of change, and if that reflects in the movie, I can't really say if they um, if they sort of paint a more glorious pictures of picture of some person and some events versus others. Um, I'm not too sure about that, but uh, it it was um, uh, mentioned as as the production um, rolled on and the release happened. Uh, it was filmed in Beijing, but the script, therefore, I mean, which is probably great, they had production facilities and locations that were probably beneficial for the movie, but therefore the script and production wasn't free to veer off into any direction they wanted, and the government imposed the rules on the script and on the portrayal of characters such as Chiang Kai-shek and Song Mei-ling, because they were apparently not allowed to be depicted in the best of light, while Sun Yat-sen and Song Qingling, the Maggie Chung and Winston Chow characters, they could be depicted as more noble individuals. And of course, you, you can sort of see that, I suppose. Uh, scenes were even shot um, of a romantic nature between uh, Chiang Kai-shek and Song Mei-ling, but they were cut from the film's final release, which was shortened by 14 minutes initially, and then it was reinstated and restored. 
but that romantic scene isn't in the film now so it might, it might simply be lost or was never allowed to uh, go into a film at all they did cut it substantially and Mabel did step in to argue her case against the censorship and uh, that it was overturned to an enough degree anyway where the movie was able to play at 2 hours 44 minutes versus um, it was like 2 hours and 8 minutes or something like that um, before so it had a, a fair amount cut so uh, maybe not in mainland China who knows but uh, regardless what what we have now on the remastered DVD and the Blu-ray the movie is 144 minutes and is considered to be Mabel's director's cut even if those romantic scenes between Chiang Kai-shek and Song Mei-ling are still absent Um, and again you never know if they were even they were even finished in terms of um, editing and scoring and what have you so you'll have to ask Mabel and Alex uh, about that I'll give her a call later (laughs) we're all on uh, we're all on Skype uh, so uh, we're all connected this world so <laughs> is that you, you think Paul uh, just off the cuff here uh, is uh, you know these restrictions they're, they're not easier nowadays right if you want to go into depicting political figures uh, like the ones we mentioned surely mainland censors still want to be involved uh, quite distinctly right yeah no I, I mean given the current political climate I think it would probably be even harder <laughs> to to get this mm. film done today than it was in uh, 96, 97 when they were filming. It sounds like a precursor to all Hong Kong cinema now. Yeah, yeah, you have to follow um, r- rules and regulations. Uh, and um, but, but, you know, good, good on Mabel for being able to um, say that, okay, even if we can't have that, you should at least give me the majority of my movie back to me. Yeah, she's like, you need these guys being arrested at the end of the movie. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> there's no ghosts or demons in the movie either, so it's all, it's all good yeah she, she took them out uh, the film in terms of the Hong Kong box office it earned a little over 10 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office which just sounds pretty decent and come awards time Maggie Cheung playing the middle sister Song Qingling won the Hong Kong film award in the best actress category uh, actor and acclaimed filmmaker Jiang Wen uh, uh, you know if you don't know him from his Chinese movies he's obviously in uh, Star Wars Rogue One together with uh, Donnie Yen uh, he took home Best Supporting Actor, playing the father of the sisters, Charlie Song. And the costume design, art direction, and cinematography was also rewarded. I believe Arthur Wong was the cinematographer on uh, this one. Uh, that awards night was otherwise the night for a little indie movie that could, in the form of Fruit Chance Made in Hong Kong. That won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best New Artist for the brilliant Sam Lee, the brilliant discovery that was uh, Sam Lee for, um, for Made in Hong Kong. Very rightly deserved. Yeah, it's a very good movie. I mean, I rewatched Made in Hong Kong like last year, and I was still afraid. Like, I mean, am I gonna get this? I mean, I, and I'm sure there's stuff that I don't get, uh, sort of in the workings of uh, the Hong Kong it depicts. But it is a powerful movie. It really is, and uh, and a marvelous accomplishment uh, as an independent uh, movie. You know. And uh, the Taiwanese Golden Horse Awards also gave out statuettes to the Song Sisters for the art direction, score, and sound effects. So um, one of these uh, movies that uh, really required technicians of the highest order, and they were uh, rightfully uh, awarded. So so we've reached the movie review here of the Song Sisters, and uh, let's go around the room first for some brief opinions of uh, this uh, epic movie. So uh, as for your short opinion, Tom, uh, what do you want to say first of all of uh, the Song Sisters? A very different movie from the Autumn's Tale. And Autumn Sisters, yeah, yeah, very different. It's a gorgeous-looking movie with a very ambitious scope, but 
plays out more like a string of dramatic scenes rather than a kind of epic narrative that, that fully gels for me, the ignorant Guaylo. But <laughs> that's my feelings. I think in part it's really good, but doesn't ever quite come together for me. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, put a pin in it for now. And let's move over to Paul for, for a brief opinion of the song, Sisters. It's a sprawling epic in terms of the art direction and uh, some of the you know locations and and things they're trying to do visually at the same time i think they've crammed way too much story into um, the running time and it's incomplete for for many people who would be interested to know more about uh, the sisters and i really i mean you could make this easily a, a trilogy um, and there's plenty of interesting material uh, to, to go through it, and with this kind of being uh, the second installment. Yeah, that was uh, what I walked away, uh, the feeling I walked away with too, that this needed to be Maggie Chung's movie, and in part it is, but it really um, it needed more of her story too and therefore we have a sisters and got in the way so a trilogy of movies would have been would have been more preferable i i I think i would have gotten more out of it that way i mean as a history lesson i suppose we get some insight into these women hopefully somewhat correctly depicted and the production values are stellar as you said but that that scope and its broad focus on um, on a large portion of history it hurts its abilities to connect because it tries to squeeze in a lot of history across the family uh, across the sisters uh, not just one sister which would have been preferable and it seems like the movie was going down that route of uh, because Michelle Yeoh is not in the movie that much no she's very underused that's what I thought as well it's definitely Maggie's film and then Vivian Wu gets like a distinctive section but still it, it felt to me like uh, even if you just had one movie I, I would have preferred this to be you know the song sister <laughs> as a matter of fact <laughs> Uh, so it's not a movie that sweeps me away and uh, I mean the, the makers going from the small making the big that's laudable of course but um, you know wanting to step out of the small and narrow but it simply doesn't work that well for me or connects and it's not really my type of movie either but parts of it were interesting and that, that that was when Maggie's scenes were playing out but even that is incomplete to a degree which we'll get to. I don't know whether it, I'm correct in saying this, but it almost feels like maybe they were going for, at least, you know, Mo Chung was going for historical accuracy rather than, you know, throwing things in that maybe weren't so accurate for dramatic purposes. Maybe that's why it feels a bit kind of drier compared to, you know, previous films. I mean, they do, uh, they do attempt to clarify throughout the movie where we are and what has happened. So obviously they are relying on history it's not just set in two rooms for two hours and uh, we get a talky piece that expands on the characters that way i mean they, they really do try to paint the picture but i don't think it connects that uh, well it's like yeah okay I'll, I've, I've read that that happened in history okay <laughs> cool what do we do with that in terms of how we uh, inject the characters into all of this uh, I, I i do like the initial stages uh, we, we get a little section where 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 they're, where they're kids and they play and uh, maybe it's the last piece of innocence and uh, no worry type of life that these kids are gonna experience because uh, their their parent um, that uh, Jiang Wen plays uh, Charlie Song 
he obviously is uh, politically active and they don't seem to uh, want to hide the world away from uh, these uh, kids Um, even though there are some children's perspectives here in terms of they 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 what is it they burn uh, western goods at the beginning of the movie but but she asks because her doll probably wasn't made in china or whatever well it's for playing not using because that's the slogan as they burn like uh, western goods shouldn't be used but one of the children asks well it's for playing so it's it is that kind of smart sort of um, injection of uh, of uh, topic and theme and subject that uh, that was that I was interested in. The actors are distinctive too. I mean, I even though we don't see them for long, I wanted more with uh, Jiang Wen, Vincent Chow, and even uh, Wu Xingguo. So they they really had an opportunity here to to expand. I think they chose too much, simply too much in one go and i don't know if they had any choice in the matter like uh, if you're making a movie about the song sisters then focus on them all and uh, but we need four hours if so well you can't have that so i, I really find some of the things attractive and uh, i wanted to experience more and wanted wanted more to be expanded with in terms of the ladies and in terms of the uh, leading men but uh, unfortunately we, we just get little dips here of uh, jiang wen's story vincent Chow story as Sun Yat-sen like case in point I don't know if you remember this we go from Sun Yat-sen as being you know an active revolutionary and next time we see him he's dejected yeah it's quite fast isn't it yeah in terms of the narrative that was interested, interesting so I, I wanted more to be filled in and that's one of the sort of where the alarm bell went off that they're ticking off points but not expanding on points and I was looking for that despite this not being my type of film but I, I was still looking for some some more nuance and depth and reasoning of characters and was looking for a select number of characters to have their movie I mean that would have been great a Song Ching Ling and Sun Yat-sen movie you know a Maggie Chung and Winston Chow movie that should be yeah the focus would be not better, but it would be how it would have more of a focus. The film itself, in general, having a focus on those two. Yeah, I agree. I think it feels feels compromised to to an extent. But you know whether that's due to obviously the mainland census having a say in it, or whether that's due to the fact that they need to keep it, you know, at two hours, two and a bit hours to kind of make it more of a commercial product. You know, in many ways, it feels like that. But again, it's a mammoth task trying to get in that much history into, you know, just over a couple of hours window. I, uh, two films or three films would have benefited from. But, but was it that big of a hit to warrant uh, sequels? Yeah, I mean, 10 million versus the budget, whatever it was, maybe it was not uh, encouraging numbers as such. Um one of the best looking films from this period you know for sure like especially on the blu-ray it just looks incredible and big budget and kind of uh you know anamorphic scope it's it's an amazing looking film it's just it just leaves me a bit cold in terms of the actual kind of narrative what do you think paul uh, did, did, did you get a sense uh, that uh, oh, they're focusing on too many characters uh, at once like you got uh, Jiang Wen you know Winston Chow and all the ladies and the mothers and fathers and then there's Chen Kai-chek I mean did, did you get a sense of like guys broad focus is not necessarily the key to success here well yeah I think that uh, as I mentioned there's a lot crammed in here and that there's not enough nuance as you point out and it's unclear 
if they're just trying to tick off certain narrative boxes, like throw in a little romance here and uh, a little action there, or if they're having to work along specific guidelines. So one of the big challenges they have is with the character of both uh, Sun Yat-sen and Song Qingling. So Sun Yat-sen is like, they refer to him, I think, a couple times as the Lincoln of China, mm. or in some cases, the George Washington of China. He's this revered figure. He is co-opted both by the Communist Party as the, you know, the grandfather of the revolution, the predecessor to Mao, um, but also as the the Kuomintang's founder, even though the Kuomintang branched off from his nationalist party once Chiang Kai-shek took over and they fled to Taiwan. He's co-opted by, by both of them. If you've seen the film um, Her Fatal Ways, the first one, uh, there, there's a joke reference to that where Carol Cheng's character is uh, having a discussion. She's from the mainland. She's having a discussion with, um, I forget the actor's name, but he's um, Tony Lung's father, who's very much a KMT nationalist uh, party supporter. Um, and they both find common ground in the recognition of Sun Yat-sen as, as this founding father figure. Um, but part of the problem is, is that as you go through some of the history and some of the narratives and, and some of the letters and, and diaries left behind by these characters, Sun Yat-sen was not a good man. <laughs> I mean, um, and, and so they can't really go into that. They can't really portray him in, in a negative light. Um, based on some of the things that are that are out there now, I mean, uh, most of the men involved in this are are not nice men. Um, they've had hits put out on people. Chiang Kai-shek himself was a former assassin. You know, he he assassinated people before um, you know becoming uh, the the generalissimo. So, not really nice guys as we would think of in in the modern context. People who wanted power, uh, and his relationship with Ching Ling, you know, as they kind of painted here, yeah, it kind of starts out as as this, you know, um, May December romance kind of thing because of their age gap, and she was very much enamored of him. But that changed later on, and they never they never really um, highlight that point. If you remember, there's a scene um, where uh, his estate is being attacked by soldiers who are basically rebelling against him. Um, they were, they were, you know, under his command and they'd kind of gotten fed up with him. And so one of his generals, uh, attacked his estate and they're forced to flee and they get separated. That's not really what happened. He left first and Sun yeah. Ching Ling stayed, you know, uh, stayed behind. And then as she tried to escape, as things escalated, um, she eventually made her way back to Sun um, but she was injured. All her bodyguards died, um, kind of as they show in the movie. And as a result, she was she lost her child and was left barren. She was not able to have children, and that really impacted her deeply. And apparently, she came to the realization that he left her there as kind of bait, because ah, okay. um, as the soldiers were attacking his estate with her there, he could then order his ships on offshore to um, bombard the city uh, in retaliation. And, and she came to this realization a bit later, and her affection for him significantly changed um, from, from that point onward. But it's 
details like that that they can't get into because they can't, you know, that would be kind of showing him in a negative light, uh, you know, as it were. The you don't you don't you don't paint a bad picture of of George Washington uh, because that'll upset people, right? You know, there, there's there's that idea. I mean, he like Chiang Kai-shek, he had a wife before, he had a family before. His marriage to Song Qingling wasn't really legitimate. It shows in the film when he's marrying her in Japan. The person apparently who officiated the wedding wasn't, it was just his friend. And foreigners were not allowed to get legally married in Japan, apparently, according to the Japanese law at the time. So it was kind of just a sham for, and, and you know, to kind of get her, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and the the parents did kind of rush there. They they kind of show um uh the you know uh, Charlie Song rushing up the steps and everything. Um they they did rush to try and kind of stop it, and then they protested. They went to protest with the government to try and get it annulled and everything. But she was just too into him at that time. Uh, you know the, the commanding figure that he was, and and you know again that changes over time. So here you know yeah yeah Winston Chow's attractive Maggie's attractive you know set this up as this you know this great little romance but leaving out a lot of the nuance because they can't depict these figures in in a negative light. And and the same with her because she becomes Madame Sun Yat-sen she still commands a great deal of of respect and you don't want to portray her in a negative light either. That's interesting. So it's not as by the books as I as I maybe thought it was. In terms of historical accuracy, it's a bit more kind of tweaked, tweaked a little bit. Because she says in the film that didn't he, she says that he just left it, her uh, at some point, rather than get into details about what happened or those you know obviously those details that you mentioned. It's my problem, sort of watching these movies because I I want to understand what is going on and what is being held held away from me and it is one of those things where i'm not a history about because i i i, I read but i don't understand what i'm reading essentially so it's complicated <laughs> that's cool <laughs> let's say I'm, I'm i'm homer simpson in that regard i put on my glasses i try to read but no, nothing sticks so but it, it's certainly not the first movie i have a first production to to feature a compromise like this a uh a uh, demand that uh, this is to be depicted like this otherwise no approval no support uh, no access to this and that um, so but but it's, therefore that perspective is uh, very needed and very very interesting in terms of making sure to n- depict where we are in the timeline and what uh, what the historical uh, events are about and what has happened Mabel does okay in terms of that she uses both visuals to signify where we are in Sun Yat-sen's life when the Qing government has been uh, overthrown and they also use uh, obviously uh, uh, little texts on on screen and also people uh, do expository dialogue to make sure that we we catch up to make sure that we know where we are and the movie does okay in terms of that we know where we are but it doesn't mean that it automatically connects or anything because uh, then the movie cuts right into Song Ailing's wedding Michelle Yeoh's character's wedding with H.H. H. Kung and I don't think we got a sense that 
that was happening and who he was and there's no romantic lead up and it's the first of many signs of too many sisters too little movie and michelle is unfortunately a victim of that i was kind of bummed that this is not a sort of equal equally shared movie and who knows if they knew that going in maybe they this got restructured a little bit in editing to to favor maggie yeah, the focus is put more on Maggie. It feels like there's more... Obviously, obviously, there's more to their stories, but it feels like there's stuff that's been cut and it's kind of been reshaped to focus on, on Maggie in kind of post-production rather than initially going in with that in mind. And, you know, the sisters, uh, they, they need to start to find the sisters, and, and I suppose they try to, but it again, it's, it feels more like, yeah, it's doing it clearly. There's a coherency here, but an emotional sort of core and center it never really gets there it's on its way a little bit here and there with the maggie chung character because she commands the screen i think she uh they age her very cleverly without putting a cake of makeup on her except for in the modern sections you know little subtle changes of uh, hairstyle demeanor wardrobe makes maggie's uh aging and uh her as a character immersing herself in into the ways of the world and her role as a political figure that works very well and, and then you're sort of reminded okay it's about the three sisters and you come back to that first title card uh, which really I, I think you realize that the movie trips itself over by stating in the title card one sister loved power one loved money one loved her country that gives up the vibe that oh we're gonna find out over the course of the movie which one loved power? Which one loved money? Which one loved their country? And 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 then when I looked at the movie, and and this is the stupid Guaylo too. Is Michelle Yeoh the one that loved power or money? <laughs> and I realized that the movie doesn't really live up to that sort of grand one loved, one loved, one love slow motion black and white opening title card. You realize that the movie has tripped itself over by featuring that at the top of it and it never really regains its composure um because uh, michelle is so excluded from the movie and and another distraction is but it's a technical distraction at least two of them are dubbed and i don't and and not by them it's not them i don't think it's maggie dubbing herself and i don't think it's michelle dubbing herself and i don't think they're performing in mandarin necessarily all the time either which is a technical thing maybe the actresses weren't confident in performing in mandarin michelle certainly got confident to an enough degree when doing crouching tiger hidden dragon later because that but it's a technical thing i've seen thousands of hong kong movies dubbed and mainland movies dubbed but in, in such a glorious looking movie where there is sync sound, most of the performers are doing their lines in Mandarin, to then get canned audio. Unfortunately, it's a distraction. And um, when you're not totally into a movie either, you, you get a little bit like, hmm, that's not Maggie. <laughs> you get a little miffed. <laughs> yeah, I think, it, I think it's Vivian Wu is the only one speaking Mandarin, but it makes sense because I think before this, she'd just done Mandarin uh, language films. I'm certain that this was her first kind of well, Cantonese production, but she's still speaking Mandarin. I mean, it I'm looks sure. like it. Her, her uh, looping, uh, which might be her, but it's still. Maybe looped. she did all the voices. <laughs> oh, no, Maggie. The, the Hankers area of, of Chinese cinema. <laughs> is that something you cared? Well, it, it is what it is. Or was it a truly a distraction for you, Paul, that the, the, the technical quality, you know, takes a little dive because two of the performers are so distinctly dubbed 
I mean, yeah, I think that uh, for me, it's uh, uh, I'm very much a sync sound guy. And uh, I wanted to hear them channel switch. And you get to actually hear them in sync for brief moments when they speak English. And because of the education, I mean, all three girls were educated in the States. Their father had been educated in the States. And Charlie Sung himself was kind of a little bit uh, discriminated against in missionary circles because he did not really know Chinese well, especially from from the written sense because of his background in education. And so his his daughters being um, very good linguistically in terms of their Chinese and their very fluent English because of their upbringing, um, they were known to, you know, often speak English in the household. They had a variety of friends from all all over the world that they would correspond with, um, often using English in in letter writing. So I really wanted to hear them do a lot more of that. I didn't want this film to be in English. I didn't expect it to be. But I wanted to see that sense of uh, channel switching. I mean, you get a little bit of that in City of Glass, right, with uh, the Daniel Wu character. And, you know, because of his background, same kind of thing. You know, he... His Cantonese isn't super strong, but he can get by in it, and he switches out to English quite often. And I, I felt that this film, one of the one of the bigger problems against it was that there wasn't that sync sound um, level of quality, um, which is a shame. Shame because I, you know, I, I guess they're figuring that they needed dubbers with a certain kind of uh, speech that probably only a, a native mainland or Putonwa speaker would would understand as a kind of sort of high education or high class speech that maybe the actresses could not convey, you know, maybe, you know, because I, you know, I'm, I'm sure they can speak levels of Mandarin, as you've mentioned. We, we, which it didn't look like they were doing, as a matter of fact. So. But uh, I don't know, maybe they just uh, they just figured it was, you know, the practice of the day is going into the studio afterwards and uh, doing the, the, the post-dub. Just count to 10, Maggie. We'll figure it out later. In this movie, we're really still doing this? <laughs> uh, what do you think, Paul, in terms of uh, the coherency level of it all? Because it covers several events in history. It puts that on screen. Characters speak of it. Do, do you think the movie does a good job of setting time and place uh, to make sure we we understand where we are in history well it's it, you know as you mentioned it's imbalanced um uh, michelle yo's character as as eiling is very much non-present in the film and she you know if we're going to break it down she is the one who loved money she married uh h.h kong who was from this moneyed family h.h uh, kong becomes this powerhouse financier behind initially uh, Sun Yat-sen and then later Chiang Kai-shek um, helping to handle the money side of things throughout throughout the revolution um, all the way up until they, they have a big falling out um, you know after after World War II because of all the uh, <clears throat> lots of corruption uh, lots of lots of scandal you know that goes into why the the KMT, the Kuomintang, eventually fell. And part of that was because of the H.H. Kong family and, and even some implications that Song Ailing herself was, uh, you know, implicated in, in some of the corruption because that's how they made money and they liked 
they liked wealth and they liked power and that kind of stuff goes hand in hand. You know, again, I mentioned that this would have been great as a trilogy because mm. what's really overlooked here is is the early stages of the girl's life. I mean, I think we get maybe 10 minutes of it, but I mean, all three girls went to the same private university in, in the U.S., Wesleyan. They didn't go at the same time. So even though that scene is there of mom and dad sending them off together, um, actually, Eileen went first uh, when she was a, a, a teenager. And then the other girls, who I think if I have their ages correct, it's a 10-year gap between Eileen and between Mei Ling, uh, little sister, um, with uh, Qingling in the middle. So Eileen went to study first, and then Qingling went later. And then I think while Qingling was there for her first year, Eileen was finishing up, and then Mailing came while Qingling was finishing up. So, I mean, there's a lot there. To, there's a lot of story there that for me would be interesting because you're talking about, you know, three young Chinese women at, at a tertiary institution back during this time period when it wasn't even common for women really to be studying, let alone uh, women of uh, Asian descent. So, you know, their stories it's, uh, have, you know, from this period, of, there's, there's books about it that you can go read, but there's not really been a lot in terms of uh, screen work done to tell this story. So I think there's a lot of interesting material there. If they had done free movies and they would have chosen the depiction of Sun Yat-sen and Ching Ling that we do see in this movie, we would have still gotten a more full yeah. movie. I think I would have been at least interested in that and immersed in that, even though half-truths and lies might have been depicted before me. But, you know, it it it, it wouldn't have been as scattershot as as it is here. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that um, the, the other thing, too, that doesn't really... I mean, it's part of the central focus, but it doesn't come across as strongly as I think it could. Is the relationship between uh, these three sisters, for the most part over the years, was very, very strong. Um, their, their their family relationship, even though they were in very different places at times. I mean, um, there's a shot where I think um, uh, Maggie Chung is supposed to be in Moscow, right? She's uh, she's been kind of in put in self-exile as Chiang Kai-shek has kind of come up and uh, moved, uh, co-opted her her husband's name for his party and moved away from the communists. And uh, so she, you know, retreats to to Moscow. And but even so, I mean, she's she's separated from her family. And, and this would happen a few times in the course of her life. But they would always get back together. They would always be sisters. And I think we could have seen, you know, a bit more of that by the third act. It really does kind of be, move on to becoming a lot of the focus on, uh, Song Mei Ling and Vivian Wu's character. Yeah. They even do, um, at the beginning of the movie, we see Maggie Chung in, in old age, but they even do very briefly. And I thought that was almost very late introduced structure to a film that we also see Vivian Wu as older but but very briefly it's one of almost like it's the remnants of footage that was greater so but but they wanted to squeeze squeeze in as much as possible I guess so uh, because it, it, it felt like a late like late introduced sort of um, topic into the movie that we're gonna see her in modern times uh, too 
So um, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's something that perhaps Mabel and Alex have uh, talked of officially uh, further production problems. Um, uh, I don't know, but uh, you know, they, even though I, I don't know how true the depictions are, but there are sections that um, you know that are darker and more harrowing that that get to you. I mean, the Shang Kaishek section where he reads the bible that's intercut with turmoil and executions in the city it's this sort of scary scary scene because he's reading the bible and almost interpreting it to his own advantage oh that means i should you know persecute and be violent and kill because the bible says so and he's really good at those he, he's got that bad guy glare that is actually still kind of it's not stock villain is not boring villainous acting because he's very present wishing Guo always liked him you know it might not be a very layered part as it stands now in the movie but if you want a, a sort of villainous glare and an effective sort of bad guy evil on screen he's, he's really a nice go-to guy whether it's for a dramatic movie or a more action-driven movie as uh, ours uh, I was all about really like him, and and we get the feeling of that that divide between him and Ching Ling because she doesn't agree with his actions, and obviously that means the sisters are being pulled apart a little bit. So you you got some distinct sections uh, sections where this is spoken of, where where they try to hash it out over a ceremonial dinner. Even there's a particular holiday, and they and they they get into arguing about uh, what they don't agree on and that's the movie not being scattershot for a little bit that's characters being allowed to go back and forth state their case and the movie to build on something but then you realize that it's part of such a big movie that wanted to cover too much so you only get little nuggets of um, heavier nuanced stuff here uh, and where actors go at it back and forth and there's even great little bits where the sisters start talking English between each other. And I believe it's Chiang Kai-shek's character that protests against that. Like, you speak Chinese, you don't speak English. And those are little, you know, character bits, uh, actor interaction bits that I attach to, that I, where, where direction comes to life a little bit. Um, but, you know, it needed a long series, perhaps. In this day and age, you probably could produce a lush looking series and not you know a shot on video so cheap thing that would enhance this story a lot more and knowing you paul you're probably gonna say now well ken they did a 120 (laughs) episode mainland chinese (laughs) series a year after that rectified this situation (laughs) but um you know it's a shame because uh, mabel and alex they put in all they're all into this uh, technically and I don't know, maybe wanted more, but couldn't do as much. And the, the movie does end up being this little um, movie that uh, uh, spikes every now and again. And it's impressive, but um, certainly scattershot and a bit cold in the end. I mean, I learned some, but um, I wanted more. I wanted to learn more about character. And most of the character I learned of was the stuff I read of uh, beforehand. Which is a shame. Uh, so, um, you know, they gave them 140 minutes, but not enough. Uh, so I'll, I'll end my notes right there. Um, so, Tom, you wanted to wanted to say something? Yeah, no, I, I agree with what you were saying. I think it's not too hard to understand what's kind of going on within the context of the film and kind of, uh, you know, enjoy it on a both aesthetic level and, 
you know, on a dramatic level, but it's just that it does feel like there's a bigger picture, really, that you're just not quite getting. And I think having some context uh, behind the film now, kind of post-viewing, it's kind of added in a few details for me, but I still think kind of it stands as, you know, somewhat compromised film, but probably naturally compromised because you have to fit that entire, you know, history into <laughs> two hours. And obviously not even entire history, but just simply too much history because the movie doesn't deal with the cultural revolution as such. Um, so they, they, they've chosen a bit, but that bit is massive, you know. <laughs> so uh, it's, a, it's a massive chunk of history. Do you know offhand, Paul, if, uh, if uh, other media, uh, if not movies, have uh, dealt with the Song Sisters um, and, and, uh, in a more expansive way? There was a Sega Dreamcast game. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you mention it, um, there's a, there's actually, I mean, this period is covered quite extensively. I mean, uh, there's nothing that focuses specifically on the Song Sisters specifically, but uh, you know, in preparation for you know getting ready for the episode, I actually sent uh, the guys a. Uh, there's segments from an opera on Dr. Sun Yat-sen with English subtitles that you can find on YouTube if you look up the yeah. Hong Kong uh, opera uh, troupe. This period is heavily covered. I mean, and and these these figures will pop up all the time, uh, in, in in usually in smaller roles. So, for example, uh, Vivian Wu, who plays uh, Song Mei Ling here, uh, she reprises her role in the 2008 film The Founding of a Republic where she ah, plays mailing yeah. again very briefly because there's yeah. like uh it's it's a million man movie with all the names that are in that movie and everybody shows up on screen for like 30 seconds that's the movie they try to sell as a donnie yen jackie chan <laughs> jet Li movie <laughs> yeah, and yeah calm right. the f on marketing <laughs> yeah um, jackie had a black t-shirt on the cover <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, even Jackie did a um, his his movie. Uh, I don't know how good it was. Uh, his 1911 movie, which presumably covers uh, you know the Qing Dynasty, uh, 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 the, the switch from dynasty to dynasty, if you will. Yeah, and that that film 1911 that that uh, you just mentioned, Ken, Winston Chow reprises his role as Sun Yat-sen in that film. So did it once. You're gonna do it forever, buddy. <laughs> you get these characters um, popping up in in appearances all over the place. I mean, and it's such a there's so many stories from this period. I mean, there's uh, I, what is it? Donnie Yen's movie Bodyguards and Assassins, not directly about Doctor Sun Yat Sen, but one of his yeah, fellow up. contemporaries, yeah, yeah, yeah. played by Tony Lung. And and what and Wong Fei Hung is around for it. And Once Upon a Time in China too. Uh, Tom was just joking about the idea of 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 uh, you know a Sega Genesis game, but actually Song Xingling appears in uh, an Assassin's Creed spinoff. Uh, apparently, one of the comic book spinoffs. Um, <laughs> she she's in in that. I think it's called uh, Templars, which uh, I, I haven't I've played the games, haven't read the comic books, so I can't really tell you much beyond that. But yeah, these are these are figures who are pretty well known, and part of me wonders too is. If a lot of the shorthand used in this film is because the uh, director and and the scriptwriter expect that people know a lot of this history already, they they perhaps they felt that this is already well known for a Chinese audience, and so it doesn't play quite as openly perhaps to an international audience who's not as familiar with characters like H. H. Kung. 
and um, you know the other background. There's subtle omission too. Can you mention that you know the Song family was a family of six siblings. There are three brothers who also had prominent roles. Who I don't I think you know I don't think they're introduced at all in 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 the context of the film's narrative. They may appear on screen, but it, things go by so fast that I had a hard time locating them. Maybe in the wedding scene in the background somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> there's only, a, only the two guys that they're seen as children and they're seen a bit later as older kids. I thought they were the ones that were stealing the food at the wedding. I thought they were their brothers, but they weren't obviously mentioned as brothers. I no. thought that those might be. Are you talking about the Cheese <laughs> oh. Brothers? Yeah, the Cheese Brothers. I thought those were their servants. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Ah. Could be, it could be, it could be misinterpreting that. But um, but yeah, anyway, there's, servants, same thing. There, there's three brothers. Um, there's quite a few. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of characters who are omitted, but one in particular, because this film, as it builds up to, you know, kind of its third act climax. Um, it deals with what is called the Xi'an incident, which is a, a very famous historical incident when Chiang Kai-shek was actually kidnapped by two of his own generals um, because they were upset with him focusing so much of his 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 military on fighting the communists and not focusing on banding together with them to fight against the Japanese who had been you know, doing more and more incursions into China's territory. And so they they kidnapped him and held him kind of under house arrest in Xi'an. And uh, the nationalists wanted to go to war <laughs> with Xi'an, the province of Xi'an, as a result. And so what ends up happening is that his wife, uh, Song Mei Ling, goes there. And, and we see that in the film. But um, what's kind of pushed to the side is that she had a friend and confidant in the, in the Song family who was an Australian journalist named William uh, Donald. And he was very integral in kind of setting up the negotiation and going to Sean and, and, and helping to facilitate things to get Chiang Kai-shek back. And so while, yes, Mei Ling did go there, you don't you don't see him at all, except very very briefly when she gets off the plane. You can kind of see this foreign an actor stick his head just outside of the plane door, and I'm like, wait, was that supposed to be William Henry Donald? Because ah. <laughs> you know, so there are certain figures who are kind of either omitted or pushed to the side because I think they wanted the the narrative emphasis to be on the sisters. And so as a result, I think we don't get any, any shots of the brothers necessarily um, or figures like William Henry, Henry Donald or other characters who are very important historically to this time period and doing important things, but maybe they don't play well from a cinematic structure. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, such omissions. Could happen everywhere, I suppose. Uh, you need to pick and choose and uh, streamline and slim down events, even though they're not fully true events anymore if you start to omit characters. so. Um, but um, but yeah, it, it, it was a struggle to get it approved, and that might have been one issue that uh, they said, no, nope. you can cast an actor, you can put him in makeup and costume, but he stays on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, uh, as I said, I, I've, um, I'm out of notes, so let's go around the room if you want to say anything else in particular, Tom. 
Uh, yeah, I got a few more notes. It was quite depressing seeing Maggie made it to look like the Crypt Keeper in the more current narrative of the story. Jeez, that, that kept me up at night uh, for sure. I've seen uh, worse old age <laughs> makeup cakes on... Um... No, it was so good it was scary. That's, that's, that's what I was complaining. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah, I really like the traditional score with the older... Uh, who and the older uh, Guz Heng. I'm sure I pronounced those, you know, completely accurately, as Paul will attest to. Uh, <laughs> and this one's just for Ken. What's the deal with communism? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> A cultural that's reference. Just, that's just for you, Ken, because you asked me to, you know, put in a few gags for you. There you go. That's the best one I've come up with. It's certainly a long way away from Days in New York for Mabel and Alex to this movie, which, which again, you should uh, you should admire that they, they took this big leap and challenged themselves. Doesn't mean that every challenge lands in, in the land of critical acclaim um, uh, as such. So, um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it got acclaim, but uh, it's uh, one of the lesser movies uh, so far but um, never back down from a challenge and they certainly did not because they, this couldn't have been been easy uh, so uh, that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, Tom's uh, bits out of the way his uh, comedic, comedic shtick out of the way let's uh, <laughs> hand over to Paul again uh, want to share anything else no, I mean, I think this is a film that, uh, despite its flaws, it's it looks great. And it's for people, especially if you're a history buff, it's, you know, a piece of media that I think you'll find at the very least entertaining, even though if the some of the, some of the omissions you might be a bit annoyed with. But there's just a lot of this stuff out there um, covering this period. And, you know, it's another one in the mix. And it's one of the better ones, I would say. Um, because there are quite a few that are out there that are perhaps not as entertaining, not as well performed. Despite some of the grievances I have with it, I'd say it's still worth your time to watch. And as for availability, this uh, film has been available on DVD for quite some time in its, uh, so to say, uncut form, its longest form. Again, we mentioned that a scene or two might have been uh, shot, but but never instated in any... um, uh, reinstated in any version of the film but that uncut format 144 minutes uh, that was on the remastered dvd that edit is also on the blu-ray released in uh, hong kong and uh, that's available the latter one very cheaply as well uh, no normally blu-ray prices in hong kong 120 130 140 hong kong dollars uh, this was going for 80 hong kong dollars so it's uh, one of the cheaper blu-rays you can get in hong kong so uh, so that is it uh, for the next episode. We have lined up, obviously, more Mabel Chung movies. Uh, we probably, but this might change, uh, we're probably going to try and uh, track down the documentary that she did on Jackie Chan's parents, uh, Traces of a Dragon, uh, that uh, Mabel directed. And uh, maybe we'll do uh, brief opinions of uh, the movies Beijing Rocks and of... Mabel's short movie for the one colon 99 shorts movie project that was a charity project for, during the SARS outbreak in 2003 so it's only a minute long but we're going to review that short movie anyway it stars Anthony Wong uh, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll cover those I suppose and uh, then we have Echoes of the Rainbow and A Tale of Three Cities left so um, because at this point I don't think there's anything announced or produced so currently 2015 was the last we saw of uh, Mabel Chung and Alex Law 
in terms of uh, feature-length uh, movies. And A Tale of Three Cities is connected to Traces of a Dragon. Uh, the inspiration uncovering Jackie Chan's family history resulted in A Tale of Three Cities. So we're going to get to that eventually. Should be interesting. Very interesting. I haven't seen that, uh, nor... Uh, I've seen Beijing Rocks and the, short, and the Short I mentioned, but Echoes of the Rainbow and, and A Tale of Three Cities, that would be uh, that would be first-time viewings for me. Yeah, same for me. Cool. Do you remember that short movie project? Did you get that DVD, Paul? Uh, because uh, that, that was a star lineup both in front of and behind the camera and a variety of quirky, heartfelt, and super short shorts, even animated shorts. Do, do you remember getting that and enjoying that? Yeah, it's uh, definitely from a a similar period in uh, Hong Kong history, um, and I did pick that up, so... Yeah, Stephen Chow does one, Fru Chan does one about a pick. Uh, Choi Hak does an animated one, uh, a Master Q animated short, I believe, and uh, Johnny Toe, uh, Yikafi, and uh, the Infernal Affairs guys had even shot one short while making Infernal Affairs too, because you see Eric Tsang address the camera in the same wardrobe as uh, the handover party that concludes Infernal Affairs 2. So they, they do a kind of, uh, uh, they address the camera during that particular short movie. So It's got a crazy good lineup of directors on that, like crazy. Obviously ma- ma- making it for a purpose and not, you know, Fru Chan didn't make a short about a pig just to exercise some stupid, <laughs> stupidity <laughs> on his sure. part. I mean, I'm sure it was done with heart, you know what I mean? So it's all good. Uh, but uh, thank you very much, Paul, for bringing the, the brainy perspective on this it was needed because uh, I, I i barely understood what i said during these <laughs> two hours <laughs> this show would have lasted about 10 minutes without I spoke you. words i think so, so 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 thank you for bringing uh you know your uh, historian's perspective uh, you may say history buff but in my my ears and my ears you're a historian so thank you very much for that thank you for having me guys and it's history nerd Okay, nerd rage. Get it right, Ken. Come on, Ken. Sorry, it's tw- twenty twenty. People on the show, guest stars, and you. But seriously, thanks, them. guys. It's uh, it's been a blast as always. And uh, as for uh, the contact information for all your podcast on Fire Network needs, including the back catalog of the director series and uh, episodes we've done so far on Mabel Chung, go to podcastonfire.com, check the show post for all the relevant social media links and the links uh, connected to this uh, episode and all that good stuff. So uh, that is uh, us signing off. Of course, check out Paul's podcast and podcast archive, East Screen, West Screen. And uh, I think that's us. So um, I've been Kenny B. I, I I need to lie down now. This has been uh, <laughs> this has been history overload, but very rewarding nonetheless. Uh, so uh, like the internet didn't give me all the info that Paul did. So they, yeah, you made up like a, a lot of this. So. They, 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 yeah, so Sun Yat-sen was a turd. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, hmm, that's a strange thing to have on Wikipedia, but okay. It was uh, very um, enlightening because uh, the, the stuff you talked about didn't come up in my research. So it was very enlightening. So thank you very much. Regardless, I'm going to be with me was Paul Fox and Tom KW. So say goodbye, Paul. Bye-bye. And take us out, Tom, with a bit, I guess. Cheers, guys, for tuning in. Was that a bit? Is that class as a bit? That, that, that classifies as a sign-off. That works. That was more of a, ske- that was more of a sketch, I think, though. That was, if I had to class it as something. <laughs>